My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host. Today, I have a guest by the name of Kirtana. Kirtana, Rang, I got it? Yes. Uh, is the corporate communications lead at Uber in Canada. She's at previous stints at Radical Ventures, Sidewalk Labs, and the Office of the Mayor uh, for Toronto. Um, I find her story super fascinating just because she started off in the world of politics and has made her way over to the world of tech. Um, so yeah, without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you for jumping on. Thanks for having me, Era. Um, you know, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about kind of how you grew up? And I know you started off your career in politics. And, you know, there must be an interesting story or maybe not of how you made that transition over to tech. But let's start with how your upbringing maybe influenced you eventually landing in the world of politics. Yeah, sure. So I was uh, born in Scarborough. Um, but soon after, like within a year, my parents moved to the Tamil Co-op at Lansdowne and Bloor. And I loved living there. It was like a real community. Most of our family live abroad. So for my parents, you know, they really relied on the people that lived in that building to like take care of me while they were at work. Um, and, you know, they didn't have, even have a car when I was born. So they really relied on the people in that community um, and to take turns taking care of me while they were working. Um, and the people in the building really became our family and still are to this day, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, eventually my brother was born four years later and, uh, my grandma and my uncle from Sri Lanka came to live with us. And it was the six of us in this like tiny two bedroom apartment at the Tamil co-op. Um, and then I think around when I was in grade six, we moved to Scarborough. A lot of people were moving, a lot of people from the community were moving to Scarborough at that time. Um, and I spent, um, the rest of my time in high school there until I was about in like second year university. Um, it's, you know, Tech and politics, both are really interesting. I just kind of like found myself in both of those worlds. Um, but I think for me, I found a lot of commonalities between the two. I think with both, I think they can create better life for people. Um, life can be better through both government policies, but also the tech that's introduced from these companies. But it could also be really complicated if people don't understand both. Um, and it could even be like outright dangerous at times, you know? And so I would say, like, for me, what I really wanted to do was figure out how can we how can government and tech companies clearly communicate to the people that they're going to impact uh, about what they're doing? Like every day, governments and tech companies are, you know, introducing different um, different products, introducing laws that affect us. And sometimes we don't even know what's happening. <laughs> you know, we're just expected to listen to the news and understand. And so for me, I think, you know, a lot of it stems from our parents, like my parents and our community being immigrants and English being our second language. And how do we, how do we make sure, you know, they know what's going on and, um, you know, finding the right resources um, to make their lives better. And so for me, that's really kind of how I got involved in politics and tech and uh, more on the communications angle. Yeah, I know it's interesting you brought up because I know you specifically when we we're talking, I guess, leading up to the podcast about your experience at that Tamil co-op. And as you're speaking, it kind of, Reminds me of, I guess, when the Tamil diaspora started moving to different places, including mm -hmm. Toronto. At the beginning, a lot of folks, obviously, like like I would say most of our parents, didn't have much except the community. Yeah. And it's so interesting because even though, like, I guess the community at that time didn't have much, um, the sense of community was strong. I think it still is, but it's just now, like, as we've kind of grown up and people have done well and, you know, people moved to different parts of the city as, you know, their economics have improved um it's like i feel like people have it's just harder to get together organically as and replicate that experience of you know like you said you're raised like in a communal kind of environment by other people i feel like there's something beautiful in that but obviously it's like practically hard like i had a friend who i think there was a street in ajax or something it was like him and like six or the seven of the houses were like him and his like cousins which is yeah, like unheard awesome. of, which is super cool. Love that. Um, I would like love that, but it's just obviously practically very hard. But um, yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> yeah, awesome I mean, though. I mean, that reminds me, like you know, you you kind of asked how 
I got involved in politics. And I think for me, like just having that community in the co-op, but also, you know, when our community first came uh, to Canada, just understanding the connection to the struggle back home. And so like my dad, you know, I think he really was the influence for me in politics. Um, He's a, an editor of a, of a Tamil community newspaper called Ulha Tamiler. And so he, you know, led a lot of the efforts in organizing community for back home. And, you know, they would take, my parents would take me to like protests all the time. And I would hear my dad like reading news on the radio at home. And I think growing up in that environment, I kind of saw politics as public service in a way to kind of bring your community together. And so for me, that was like interchangeable. So I when I thought of politics, it was like, okay, that's community or that's how you bring the community together. Um, both pause and, you know, I, I've saw you see both positive and negative. Um, so I think for me, you know, that was kind of really the beginning of, of me thinking about politics. I think somebody told me that because of obviously the situation in Sri Lanka specifically where Tamils and politics was very tricky, like, you know, you could be in politics, but it's also dangerous mm-hmm. um, versus when you come here or it's Canada where freedom is like, like you take it for granted, but it's like there and it's like, it allows people to take part in politics how they like. And that, I don't know if it was maybe like 10, 15 years ago, whatever, there was like a boom or like, I think that's continued of Tamil folks being involved in politics. And I think that's part of it as well as the fact that a lot of folks, specifically from Sri Lanka, not other parts of the world, were very restricted from participating. So yeah, so in, in terms of your like, I guess, background in terms of the different roles you've taken on, was there any kind of strategy to kind of, you know, the different roles that you've uh, played in, you know, different organizations like the Liberal Party at both the Ontario and federal level, uh, Office of the Premier of Ontario, Office of the Mayor of Toronto, um, or was this kind of more so you just kind of applied for different positions because you had an interest and one thing led to another? Like, how did this all come about? Yeah, I wish I could tell you there was like some master strategy, <laughs> but I kind of just fell into a lot of it. But um, I guess you know, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't really talk about like high school years. Like I always wanted to be a teacher. I was like one of those kids where I was in, in high school and like had my life planned. I was going to be a teacher, you know, I was going to be married by 22 or 23, like have kids by 26, like have a house in the suburbs, that kind of, that kind of life plan. Um, but then I was in, um, like in grade 11, I, I took like politics and world issues and human rights as like electives. And I think it was like 2006, 2007, and um, the war back home was in the papers like every day. And one of the assignments that our political science teacher, Mr. English, gave us was to read the paper every day. So I'm like seeing this like unfolding in the paper every day. And I'm like, sorry, I had to interrupt you there. Did you say Mr. English? What high school did you go to? Oh, Albert Campbell. Oh, OK. Never mind. I thought you went to Wolverine. Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Nicholas English. He's great. He just reti- retired this year. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I have to read the paper every day and I'm seeing, you know, the war unfold in the papers every day in Sri Lanka. And I I was like, what can I, like, how do I have an impact on this? Like, what can I do as an individual to have an impact on what's going on in Sri Lanka or anything that's written in these papers? Um, So I decided, I'm like, look, I'm not going to become a teacher. (laughs) Like I thought teaching, and it is still like a really respectful profession and has a huge impact on people, which is why I wanted to do it. But I was much, I was so you know, preoccupied with what was happening in the papers. I'm like, what can I do? And the way, you know, as I was talking to my high school teachers, who I still talk to this day, a few of them who've had such a huge impact on my life, the way I saw it is there was two paths for me. One, where I could be kind of like an advocate, work for like an international nonprofit, travel the world, like, you know, support countries that way or, or people that way. Or two, I could work in politics or in government and influence policy that way and, and bring change from within. And when I was at university, I went to York University and I got involved in campus clubs. So I got involved in War Child Canada and the Young Liberals of Canada, kind of like, you know, the two worlds of international development and political science. And I did study both international development and political science, but I eventually, you know, chose the path of politics. I think more just because of like the social setting, like I just ended up developing really good friends in in the Young Liberals. And um, that's kind of how I entered into the political world through that Young Liberals of Canada. And um, it's kind of like a pool of young talent that, you know, the party, the government um, can actually look for talent and bring them in through internships. You know, you volunteer on campaigns. And um, so that's kind of how I got a couple of internships in the beginning. My first internship was uh, with the federal 
Liberal Party when Michael Ignatieff was leader. So I got to go work in Ottawa at the time we were in opposition. And then that was my first year out of uh, my parents' house. And then the second time I uh, got an internship in Premier Dalton McGinty's office in government. Um, and that was just supposed to be a summer internship, but ended up being kind of a two-year, uh, three-year um, job until he resigned. And during your time in like these different roles in politics, did you like, how did you make that transition over? I think Sidewalk Labs was your first non-political like, yeah. related role. Was this something you planned or just again just something that kind of happened and you kind of seized the opportunity um that one I definitely planned so I worked in government and politics for eight years at that point after the mayor's office and I thought to myself I'm going to get stuck in this world of government and politics and public service I need to transition out to the private sector um as much as I loved working in politics and government like you know there's not a lot of money in the space um and you work 24 7 I was exhausted by the end of that and, uh, you know, I, I got married while I was in the mayor's office, wanted to start a family, like it's just not, politics is not conducive for that kind of world, as fun as it is. Um, so I thought, okay, I need to go into the private sector. And, um, but I didn't want to let go of this city building aspect or community building aspect. And so I was thinking of where could I go into the private sector that still does this? And um, I felt like there's only really two options for me. One was to work for a developer that was building affordable housing. So that's such a big topic in the city at the time it still is. Um, and then the other one was Sidewalk Labs. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll explain a little bit about what Sidewalk Labs is for those who are listening. Uh, it was an alphabet company, um, a sister company of Google, and they were looking to build a high tech neighborhood down on the waterfront. And they wanted to use tech to solve some of the biggest challenges cities are facing, like affordable housing, um, like climate change, you know, transit and traffic. And uh, for me, you know, while it may have from the outside, it may look like a big transition from politics to tech, but it was actually really easy because at the end of the day, this company was trying to work with government to build a neighborhood differently from uh, what we were used to, like, you know, the status quo. In fact, actually, the CEO um, was the deputy mayor of New York. And so the company was actually built, I would say, like half of people who worked in government at some point or in politics at some point. And then the other half were people who worked in tech. Um, and there was trying to bring those two together. And I really, um, really believed in that vision of, you know, tech is going to be embedded in our everyday lives and we need to figure out how we're going to bring it um, uh, into government. And I uh, really uh, enjoyed this like push and pull of, you know, how does the government work with the private sector? Um, I really think the private sector is what pushes government to, you know, think outside the box, push, you know, um, push the envelope, think differently, that innovation that's needed. And, you know, private sector may push really fast, which is what I think Sidewalk Labs is trying to do. And government's role is, you know, to regulate and uh, make sure that, you know, public interest is protected at the end of the day. And so there's that, that push and pull, which I really enjoyed at Sidewalk Labs. I mean, I don't know if you were, I forgot the timelines, but obviously, because I just remember during kind of the hype around Sidewalk, Sidewalk Labs, obviously the vision sounded amazing. And Toronto being able to participate was amazing. And like, there was all these condo projects that were being marketed as being part of this. Remind me if, or if I'm incorrect, but I, I think the project didn't end up working because I guess the city and Sidewalk Labs couldn't come to an agreement that kind of worked for both parties. Um, do you like, do you remember what that issue was? If it was public, I, I actually forgot to what the main issue around oh, that yeah. was. So, side, so I was on Sidewalk for about two years. They actually came when I was in the mayor's office. They were around for like three years. Um, they left at the start of the pandemic. So you may remember like a bunch of companies like left right away in March. Um, and at the end of the day, it was really, you know, real estate forecasting of what the cost of this um, land was going to be. Um, and so that's that's why they left at the end of the day. Got it. This episode is sponsored by nobody. That's right. Nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. And then, so I guess after your experience with Sidewalk Labs, then you moved on to Radical Ventures, which I think was an organization around um, AI and just kind of investing in companies that were using that to solve world problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah. again, how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. So um, yeah, as you mentioned, Radical Ventures, largest venture capital firm investing exclusively in AI companies outside of China, um, which is really cool. It's um, head up by some of Canadians like, biggest AI minds. 
Um, and uh, yeah, how I got there was it's all about networking. Um, so when I was at Sidewalk, I worked closely with the head of communications at Google Canada because I had to keep them you know, up to date on the issues that we were dealing with and any public communications. And um, he eventually moved on to Radical Ventures after Google and he was a, he's a partner there. And so that's how I heard about this role. Um, and so the role was the director of communications and it was about supporting the companies that Radical Ventures was investing in. So they have about, like, I think 20 to 25 companies they invest in. Um, these companies are all startups. So they have like, they have no product, right? We're investing in them so they can develop a product. So that means they definitely don't have any communication staff. They don't have a voice, no brand, no website. So my role really was to support them as, you know, they got their feet under them. I was kind of acting as their like, staff almost, you know, they're one comms person until they could hire their own person or hire an agency to support them. Um, we were like a full service VC firm. So there was me, but there's also someone who supported them in hiring talent, someone who reviewed their tech. Um, so a full service VC firm. And um, yeah, I was excited about that VC. I was excited about Radical Ventures because I think VCs are like the closest thing we have to a crystal ball. They really look, you know, 20, 30 years down in the future to figure out what what tech do we need? What companies do we need? Thinking about solving problems like, you know, most of us haven't even thought about yet and, and filling in those gaps. So that was what was exciting for me. And, you know, after I finished at Sidewalk and I want to stay in the private sector, I still want to explore tech. So which is why I went to Radical. And like, that's like true, you know, tech ecosystem in Toronto, right? Where you're, 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 you're like interviewing entrepreneurs every day, you're figuring out the the tech from Toronto that's going to thrive and and make an impact years down the road. So um, that's why I went to Radical. I wasn't there for long. Two weeks after I started, I found out I was pregnant. Um, uh -huh. So went on on that leave eight months later. Um, so that, you know, I was only really there for eight months. And then I took a, a nine month mat leave. You made that comment about obviously this push pull or like kind of ongoing friction between like, it's not really friction, but I'll call it that between private sector and government where Private is obviously like Uber, trying to go fast, trying to create change. And the government is, they have to protect their best interests. But I think this is my opinion, unnecessarily sometimes move very much slower than they need to, mm -hmm. uh, which stifles an innovation or like, you know, can frustrate um, those trying to create that change. I guess in the future, do you see governments playing the same role? I only ask this because you talked about VCs and just kind of looking 20, 30 years down the line. And with, you know, the talk about, the decentralization of kind of finance through cryptocurrency and why countries exist today is really around like historical reasons. Uh, and in the future, you know, what countries or like states or governing bodies might look different based on, you know, that kind of technology. I don't know if you thought about this is just something because you're in this, you were in this world. I'm just curious about, do you think politics and what governing bodies and how private and public work together will still look the same? Or do you see, things change just because of how fast and how big these tech com companies are getting and how much weight they carry. I mean, I hope it's different in the sense that I hope to what you're saying that governments are able to handle it better. I think, you know, part of what you're saying is true that like governments end up stifling innovation because they just don't understand or, or they just don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to figure out how technology can improve cities um, or how they should be regulated. Um, and I think, uh, like, I hope that we, we get to a point where governments embed innovation um, into um, into its business, basically. So, like, you know, should we have like a civic innovation office or, or you know, chief technology office who is able to kind of find these technology solutions, get proactive um, and figure out how to embed technology into the everyday, into the everyday government um functions. And I, I don't think we're doing a good, good enough job right now. I think it's because at the end of the day, political leaders, um, you know, they're only looking at, up until their next election, or maybe the election after that. And that's so short term, while tech is actually looking way further down the road, how are we going to solve these problems? Oftentimes, tech takes years to build. Um, and they're, they're in it for the long game. And some of them, you know, some of them will not survive, and some of them will. Um, and so how do we you know, how do we, how does government keep up with that? Um, and then the other thing I would say with tech also is even though they're thinking about the long game, they're constantly innovating. Like I think about Uber, you know, it started as a rides company, but now it's into, you know, it was delivering takeout and now it's delivering everything like groceries, um, I, you know, flowers, anything you want. 
Um, and so, you know, can government keep up with that as well? And I, I think the answer is no at the moment, unfortunately. I, I hope that's not the situation down the road because I really do believe in, in government needing to be there as the regulation or the regulatory body to protect public interest. But I don't think they're doing a good enough job right now. I think you need to have some kind of check and balance system mm-hmm. and government, even though they move very slow, still act or are supposed to do that. And I think they do that. Uh, yeah, with Uber, I remember it's just the importance of storytelling and communicating your story because... I remember when Uber first existed and they were just going from city to city, just essentially ask or asking for forgiveness. So we're going to do this and we're going to ask for forgiveness. But and the story was, oh, you know, with the with the taxi industry was, you know, this is going to be bad for everybody, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, reading this on the outside and on the outside, I was like, oh, it was totally believable. But let me tell you, using the product uh, for rides and like Uber Eats, especially as a parent. Uh, it is a magical experience. And, you know, I'm glad that Uber, uh, I guess the nice way of putting it is kind of pushed they were through and kind of got cities to agree to use them. Because, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like Uber is just a, a really good example of what you're talking about because with Uber, it was a new idea, a new product. And they real there's no regulations around them. So it's not like they were doing anything wrong. There's no rules around them, right? So like cities had to figure out how are they going to regulate Uber? And that's what they're what that's what that's what governments are trying to figure out. And um and each city is going to look different, of course, because each city has something, you know, has is very unique. Um and some cities took longer, some decided, no, we just don't want Uber at all. Um and I think, you know, um cities, you know, some cities who have who were successful in bringing on Uber was more of like, well, this is happening anyways. So we need to figure out how we're going to regulate it to protect public interest and protect public safety. And so that's kind of like, I think governments who were successful in bringing Uber thought of it that way, where it's like, okay, it's happening anyways. So we need to put in laws like as soon as possible to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand. And I think that's, that's where the success was. Well, where cities just banned it, um, you know, that's, that's not really thinking in the future at all, because it's not just Uber, there's Lyft, there's going to be other tech that's going to come up. Um, and so how do we think about the future? And I think, to your point, like, this is the issue that governments are having. Yeah, I think it's also like, in the case of Uber, like you're saying, it wasn't really something illegal, maybe it was in the gray area, but it was more so kind of lobbying and pressure from existing parties that they were disrupting, which is understandable, that's their livelihood they're disrupting. Um, and also like with, you know, with Uber as an example, you know, if you think of public infrastructure, how much time it takes, how long it takes, there's cities where I think they adopted Uber because I think number one, it, it allowed them to, sounds like we're doing an infomercial on Uber, but I actually really like the company, uh, even though there's, you know, there's some things they can improve on, but I think there's, you know, cities where, like they're planning out their transfer transportation infrastructure by using Uber data to see, hey, where are residents actually calling Uber from the most and where are they going? So that kind of helped them plan out. I think it was their like bus routes or something. Yeah, in yeah. In yeah. Innisfil, in Innisfil, Ontario, like was that po- it? Okay, yes. Yeah, the population is not big enough to like build mass transit. Like it's you know Innisfil is small, but it's getting to a point where you know there are a lot of people and there needs to be some kind of transit option um and so you know rather than investing in buses which still would not or or transit routes which you know there still would not be enough people to support a bus route the government was like why don't we just partner with uber and like subsidize uber rides for now like maybe the population will get big enough um and it's been extremely successful to this point and they they treat it like it's transit and um you know we we actually say at uber like one of our goals is um is to tackle private car ownership. Like we, rather than, you know, especially in dense areas, rather than people owning vehicles, could they use an Uber? Could we partner with transit so that we, you know, do those like last kilometer options where, you know, you can get to a transit stop and then Uber, you know, five minutes to get to where you need to go. In other cities, we're um, incorporating uh, like people where it's e-scooters are popular, like e-scooters, bike share, um, so that it's like a full mobility package for people to get around their city rather than needing to own their own car. Um, and uh, I think that's like a really cool way of doing it, like partnering with transit companies, partnering with other micro mobility options um, to get around the city. I have one beef with Uber, which is they need to improve their 
option for parents because okay. taking two kids under the age of well they're two mm. uh, with an uber is practically impossible with that like a car seat option or whatever it is but anyways yeah um, <laughs> Uh, in terms of, I guess, your day-to-day um, as, you know, corporate communications lead, like, what does it look like typically? I, maybe it's not the same day every day, but, like, maybe try to describe your typical day as possible. Yeah, so I started at Uber in January, so it's only been about six, seven months, and uh, I've been having a lot of fun. You know, Uber is obviously, like, mobility. Everyone knows about the rides business, but Eats is really growing, so not just takeout, but, like, delivery as well, groceries, um, other items, and so... And there's a lot of interaction with government because they regulate us. So my day-to-day, it's all about planning our public communications for rides and eats. Um, So I hold the pen on our editorial calendar. What are we announcing? When are we announcing it? Uh, Making sure that it fits, um, but also making sure we're hitting kind of like our big themes of we want to talk about safety. We want to talk about sustainability. uh, We want to talk about, you know, new products, new features, um, new new, uh, partnerships. Um, so I'm often working with our different operations teams, both on Rides and Eats, to see, you know, what new app features they have coming or new products. Um, but I also manage the issues for Uber. Um, so I deal and I interact with the media. So I handle all their media inquiries. So on a typical day, um, you know, I have meetings trying to figure out, basically trying to get these announcements out the door. Every week I try to have something that gets out the door. Um, but then if I get a media inquiry, um, Usually it's a 24-hour turnaround, so I have to get that. Um, I have to get the business around that media inquiry and get it out the door as well. What you described sounds like a lot of work. Is this like do you have a team that you've kind of hired or built out to help you support doing all this work? Or, um, well, Canada's really unique. Um, the U.S. has like a ton of communication staff. In Canada, we just have one person, and that's me. Oh wow. Um, we have I have a communications agency that I support that supports me. I basically treat them as as my staff. Uh, and they're really great to work with. But I actually think like one person is enough for for Uber in Canada. Um, it's just the right, like there's just enough work on a day-to-day. And sometimes it's really busy, sometimes it's really slow. The other thing is because it's a global company, oftentimes whatever I'm dealing with here, someone else in another country has already dealt with. So I can reach out to them. They, they can send me their plans, how they responded. Um, and I can, you know, just kind of uh, work off of that as well. Uh, well, I mean, we talked a lot about your... I guess your professional career in terms of how you make your day-to-day living. Um, but in you know, addition to kind of the impressive career you've had in politics and now in tech, you also do a ton of volunteering, especially in the Tamil community. And, you know, a big project coming up in the community is the Tamil Community Center. And um maybe for those listening that, you know, have were living under a rock and don't know the project, uh, you can explain what that project is and like how this project's gonna really fulfill a lot of our community needs and especially like what role you're playing in driving the project forward as well. Yeah. So the Thermal Community Center has been, I think, a dream for the community, you know, since we've been here. It's really about having, you know, a, a place, a space where we can celebrate what it means to be Thermal and then we've been wanting that for so long. Um, But I think it's really the right moment for the community right now. You know, we've been here for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Our community is really well established. We're in every industry now um, in Canada. And uh, now it's really about the next generation. Um, You know, I think about like my, um, my daughter, she's Tamil, but she's also half Dutch. And so my, my, you know, I, I, my biggest regret in life is not speaking Tamil. So I'm like, how is my daughter going to know about us and our and our people and our language and our culture and our heritage and where we're from and I think a, t- a Thermal Community Center is going to be amazing for th- for something like that um, not just for my daughter but you know all of our children and so for me the Thermal Community Center is going to be an inclusive safe space where um, there's already so many community organizations in our in our community doing amazing things this this is going to be one hub where they can all come and provide programs and services. Um, to our community and um, and it's going to be changing needs over time you know um, there, there'll be a gym outdoor playing fields um, there'll be a library an archival space an auditorium of course for our community we love an auditorium um, but also multi-purpose spaces for things like you know dance studios mental health services networking opportunities but we also hope that the community center will be a, a really great resource for uh, other racialized communities, indigenous communities, black communities that are going to be in that space as well, who face similar challenges to what we face and can use that community center. Um, the community center is going to be at 311 Staines Road, which is in Northeast Scarborough. So there are 
there's a huge STEM community there, but also a big indigenous and black community as well. So I think it'll be a, gr a, a great resource for them too. Um, I've been supporting this project um, on the communications side as well as, as well as government relations. So for communications, you know, again, similar to my job, any public material coming out of the community center, I've often always taken the first pen edit, first draft uh, for the board to review. And then on the government relations side, because I, I did spend so much time in government, um, I do have a lot of relationships and connections. I've used that to help secure um, the land for the community center through the city of Toronto. Um, at 311 Sands Road, that's a $25 million piece of land that we are renting from the government, leasing from the government for a dollar a year, and um, also helped um, land $26.3 million in funding from the provincial and federal governments. Um, so that's kind of my, the two big roles I played for the, for the community center. And then just now like ongoing uh, government relations, you know, as we kind of, we're going to start working through the municipal approval process soon. So you didn't do that much then. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small but mighty board. <laughs> uh, in terms of, um, you know, the actual completion date for the community center, when is it expected to be like live and available for people to start making use of it? Did you know that every time you left a five out of five review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true. But if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. Yeah, we're hoping we can break ground next summer. And then two years after that, so 2025, 2026, um, we can be open and we can use it. Um, we've got a lot of work to do before then, and we really need the community involvement. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I always say the board is just building a building. It's going to be the community organizations already out there in the GTA doing this amazing work that are going to come and figure out how we're going to use the space. How are we going to program it? How are we going to attract people here? Um, I think it's uh, it's a big win. I, you know, I, I when I was in high school, I was a part of Cantide, um, Canadian Tamil Youth Development Center. And, you know, they still have the same um, office space at 705 Progress. And um, it's it's a lot of money to rent the space. And it's a huge chunk of money that could be used for programming for um, the youth that go to that development center. And so our hope is this facility, you know, we could provide it, we can provide the space either for free or a cheaper rate for these organizations to provide the space, uh, to provide the programming in the space, but also because it's a hub, everyone will know about all the different programming that's available and the resources available and people can really benefit from it. And also, you know, beside the community center, Tamil Community Center, you're also involved in something called the Empire Club of Canada. You know, what's this organization about and, you yeah. know, how do you assist here? Yeah, so the Empire Club is a really cool organization. It's been around for 100 years. Um, it's basically a speaking platform. So it's a platform where people come and talk about the biggest issues of the day. Um, so you sometimes hear about these like fancy lunches on Bay Street. Um it's uh, we're kind of evolving it from that to more of like, how is this a conversation space? How can we talk about the tough issues in the world right now and kind of create that dialogue? Um, and so what I do, I'm on the board there and I kind of help bring in these topics of conversation, bring in speakers. Uh, for example, um, just earlier this year in February, um, I hosted a um, event on the waterfront of Toronto. And, um, you know, obviously because of my work at Sidewalk, I was very interested in, I brought in the CEO of Waterfront Toronto, um, the president of George Brown College, uh, Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau, and they had a conversation of what is the future of the waterfront going to look like, you know, now that Sidewalk Labs is not there, what are the plans, what's already happening that people don't know about, um, what's going to be happening over the next five, 10 years, what can we be expecting? Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a really great conversation. And so similar to that, lots of, every, you know, every week there's something happening at the Empire Club um, about a conversation that's, you know, very timely. Based on everything you're doing and, you know, your personal commitments, how do you fit sleep in there? <laughs> uh, very good question. When I worked in the mayor's office, the mayor's office, like, strict schedule. He would, like, sleep at, like, 11, 11.30 and then wake up at 4.30. And somehow my body has been used to that. And now I, I'm also, like, I wake up at 5, I sleep at, like, 10, 10.30. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult, but, uh, you know, you, it's similar to what, you know, the work that you do, you, you're passionate about it. You find the time, you carve it out, make it a priority and, uh, you know, you can make it happen. Love the answer. In terms of like, you're a classic example of, I've always thought about, you know, you're telling kids in high school to pick a degree and kind of pick this thing you're going to focus on for, you know, the message you get is for the rest of your life. And it's kind of a scary thought. And, you know, you can go to this program that you totally hate. You obviously enjoyed what you did, but there's a lot of people I know, including myself that we liked it, but there's other options we could have done with looking into the future of education you know like now as you're you know part of uber and you know eventually part of other companies maybe in the future maybe maybe not but building out teams you're hiring how do you look at education kind of given your own experience as well where you like i don't know if you thought coming out of high school you know you probably thought you're going to politics and now you're kind of leading communications for uber so how does that affect how you would hire kind of think about education and hiring in the future yeah, I mean, I don't think school had any impact on, um, you know, my career whatsoever. Uh, I took about seven years to finish university um, because I got an internship in my, I think, between my second and third year of university, which it was just supposed to be a summer internship in the premier's office, but, you know, extended full time, as I was saying. And, you know, you, I was always told you go to school to get a good job and in the field that you're interested in. And I already got a good job in the field. So I was like, why do I need to go to school? Um, and I wanted to quit so badly, um, but the premier's office wouldn't let me. So I did school part-time um, in the evenings while I worked full-time. And even when I moved on from the premier's office to Metrolinx, which is the province's transit agency, I still felt like, oh, I have a good job. Like, you know, uh, why do I, I'm going to quit now. But again, Metrolinx, my boss wouldn't let me that she was like just finish just finish school like you're almost done you got two more years do it part-time but I I hated going to school I don't know if it was the distance like going to York um so I don't think like school really mattered to those companies other than the fact that university university or any like post-secondary education um probably does make you better analyze the world and analyze problems and figure out how to solve it it's more of like a analytical problem solving skill that you're learning but I don't know if like you need university technically I think going to college doing an apprenticeship like getting work right after probably does the same thing as long as you're doing something I think that's really what people are looking for at the end of the day on your resume when they're looking to hire you um the other thing I would say though is like I would not have been exposed to the campus clubs if I have not did not go to university. And I think they had a profound impact on kind of the direction I chose, whether it was international development or political science, and then even when it's political science, um, you know, just getting those internship opportunities. I think I really needed that to start my career. And, and not just that, but my friends too, like my best friends to the state are, you know, are from, from university. Um, so while I don't remember anything I learned in school, <laughs> Um, I think just like that social environment, as well as trying to be able to digest information and being able to problem solve is kind of what I took away from it. Yeah, like the point you kind of hit on is like, for me, just rationalizing like what the purpose of university or college is, is, is you can go if you want to get healthy, you can go work out at a gym or you could work out on your own, just like go to YouTube or pick your own workouts without going to a gym. And I feel like school is like that, where it's just like an environment you go to if you want to feel motivated or like excited by just feel excited about something and like see what people around you, other smart people around you are doing. Um, but the other part of it is, is it really worth the student debt that you kind of rack up at the end of yeah. your four years or six years, whatever, like however long you're in school when you come out, like you had a job that was paying you money while you were learning versus most people are like, give there's an opportunity cost of going to school for seven, eight years. When yeah. you're not making money, you're spending money. So when you come out, you have forty, fifty thousand dollars of debt, or whatever the number is, and now you feel pressure to take on work that you're not maybe necessarily excited about because you need to pay that off, and then you kind of go down this path that maybe you didn't intend to. So that's just something I'm rationalizing for myself and yeah. like for my kids of if they decide not to go down the traditional path, I probably would be okay with it. Versus my wife would probably disagree, but. <laughs> to, be, to be to be different determined I guess I mean I think like some there are some careers obviously that require certain skills like you do need to like if you're going to become a doctor or an engineer you need to go to university to get those skills like I totally get that but if you're doing something like I did you learn more on the on the job right so maybe I would have gotten a similar experience if I just 
didn't go to university and went straight into like politics, but I wouldn't have been able to figure out how to do that without having gone to university. But yeah, was it worth, you know, however much money I spent? (laughs) I don't know. It's putting together like-minded people. Like if you think of university, like wherever you went, like York, UFT, um, I watch a lot of sports. So I think of it as like, when you're like a high school athlete, you're like the cream of the crop, wherever your high school is, but then you go play in the NBA or like professional sports everybody who is the best at their school is now playing all together and that's what university is like bringing together like the best and brightest so whether or not you learn something is typically I learned a lot from like the people around me and kind of the the things I saw them do or you know because like I was doing something but then I was like oh why is this person doing this other thing that I would have never thought of and then you get to ask that person and yeah, I think there's also like the social aspect of it, right? Like you go to high school with the same people you probably went to elementary school with. You've never like knew anyone outside of the space. And, you know, I, I went to Albert Campbell in Scarborough. It was like half Tamil people, half Asian people. So it's like, I, you know, I haven't really been exposed to the world yet. And York really changed that for me because it's so diverse. And, um, you know, I think I needed a, a, a bit of that. So I don't know about that. Like I said, I don't know about the exact courses. I can't remember a, a, na- like a word of that, but uh, definitely the rest of it was somewhat useful um you know you've had a lot of interesting experiences i'm sure you've had a few learning lessons along the way what's one big one that you kind of think of in the last couple of years and like what was that specific you know lesson that you learned yeah i mean i've been thinking a lot about this um and uh you know i I, i've decided i'm gonna be quite candid about it so i think um you know i don't think going to radical adventures was probably the right career move for me they're, they're a great VC firm and, and like the people there are great and they're investing in these amazing companies. And I really like, they're going to change our future like 100%. But I think ultimately the role was not a good fit for me. Um, you know, I've always worked in like chaotic 24 seven high stake environments. Uh, and this job was very different. And, um, but I felt like I was kind of stuck because I became pregnant and I was like, I need to get maternity leave um from the government and so you know I was was talking to my old boss at Sidewalk Labs um while this was happening and it just like feeling uneasy about it and he was telling me this this thing about how like in life there are different seasons there are different seasons in your life and this is probably like where you need to be right now is what he was telling me and now that I look back on it I think he was absolutely right it it was I started at Radical just like two or three months after the pandemic hit you know, we didn't know how long it was going to last. I just became pregnant. I was really, really like sick. Um, and so probably having a job that was like super chaotic, uh, you know, as a previous decade of my life was just not going to ha- like, was not going to be okay during this time. And um, so I think like radical is just the right speed, just what I needed at that time during the pandemic, having a baby, um, you know, the supportive colleagues at the time and, um you know, not needing to go to the office, like being at home, all that was like really needed for those two years. Um, and then, you know, once I had the baby and I, we were settling into our new lives and the pandemic eased, um, you know, I was approached by this job at Uber and uh, it was again, just like the right time, <laughs> um, the right season as my, uh, as my um, old boss says. And I think like, it's absolutely right. Like now we're in the groove of things. I Like now I'm back into that, like, fast-paced environment and uh, it's just it's just right looking back at you know if you had a chance to go into time machine and visit your 16 year old self what would you tell her um I was like really I think I mentioned earlier I was like very planned out my life I, I was a little bit like yeah I was very like I'm, I'm still I'm very super organized I plan everything to the minute uh, you know, I put in like, my, I drive my husband crazy. I'll like put in my schedule, like get up and have tea, like, you know, shower, like I put everything in my calendar. Uh, so super planned out. I knew what my life was going to be like. And I think if I could tell my, tell my 16 year old self is to, is to relax. Like, it's going to be fine. You don't need to plan everything out. Um, and that like life happens, you know, as they say, when you're busy making plans and you're, you're going to miss out if you don't pay attention. And even though I do plan out my days like crazy, you know, every hour, every minute of my day, I think I've let go of this like year, you know, months out planning, years out planning and just going with the flow. And um, I've always gone with the flow, you know, w- with my career and with my life now. And um, so far, so good, you know, so that's what I would have told myself. As a fellow power user of Google Calendar, there's a freedom that comes with having a schedule. 
or routine. Yeah. Um, so don't let them hate on you. Um, Yeah. I always say if it's not in my calendar, it's not happening. So. no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Like I have, like, I got my wife into it, like where we share calendars and like, not everything, but like, it's just so we don't overbook or like, Agreed. when you visually see your day One hundred or like, percent. or like your week, you're like, oh, this is crazy. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do something on Sunday. I'm going to just relax because, you know, we have this going on the rest of the week. So um yeah I fully agree with you um in terms of I guess looking forward to your personal legacy um you know how would you want to be remembered by your friends and family Um, well, first and foremost, I hope I'm remembered as someone who, you know, loves their family and their friends, um, someone who's always there for them and care for them. Um, but from a more broader perspective, um, I hope, you know, people remember me as someone who cared about their community. Um, and, you know, whether that's TCC or, or through work or other volunteering projects, um, but I just want to be remembered as someone who cared about their community, but also got other people involved. um and got people involved in their communities because you know I just want to leave our corner of the earth a better place for my daughter and all of our children and I think that's a team effort um that we all have to participate in so whether that's like you know like in our community here in Bowmanville where I live we do like uh like litter cleanups or um you know we're getting the community involved with the TCC um just getting you know your neighbors involved in kind of taking care of your community I think that's That's what I hope to be remembered for. Oh, wow, you live in Bobenville. My best friend lives there, and I hate that he lives there. It's like so far. Uh, it's right off the <laughs> highway. it's so I always say far. it's the first small town outside of the GTA. Like we have a downtown, like you can, you know, it's a 10 kilometer radius. You can walk everywhere. It's not like a sprawling suburb, you know? I feel like where I, I live in Mimico, and going east to Scarborough to visit my parents Oh. is like, what should be like a 20, 22 minute drive turns to be like a 45, 50 minute drive. And I, Bobenville is like an hour and 30 or like, oh no, totally, from Mimico for sure, I basically don't, like, if you're in the West End, like, it's hard to come to the East End, if you're in the East End, you, you don't move, you know, like, I, I basically don't go West of Ossington. Yeah. <laughs> I guess a follow-up to the personal legacy question is, Yeah. how would you want your daughter to remember you? Money can be hard to come by, but here is a $100 opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win $100 when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? Uh, well, it's funny you say that because what, like while I was pregnant and while I was on that leave, um, the TCC stuff was getting crazy, like the Thelma Community Center, um, because we were just securing land. We were just um, getting funding and like we were actually going to have this big press conference, which was like a year ago. And my daughter was like four months old and, um, you know, she was born with some health challenges. So we were dealing with that. And uh, my mom's <laughs> my mom's like. you know she's she's gonna like like she's gonna be so involved in the community because she always has been involved in the community since she was like a, you know uh since you were pregnant and and then during mat leave um the, the tcc basically became like a part-time job while i was on mat leave um because i i, I had some extra time while the baby was napping I, I spent so much time working on the project um so i hope yeah i i hope the same thing i hope she remembers me as someone who like yes i was i'm a mother but also I got to like do really cool things like work at a real work in really cool jobs, um, cared about the community, cared about making like life better through technology, through public service. And uh, I hope she sees me, sees me more than just a mother as someone who, you know, wanted to make life better for people. That's a good segue into the final segment of the podcast. It's like a fun speed round I like to call Creator Confession. I'm going to say a bunch of statements and I want you to give me the first answer that pops to mind. Ready? Okay. Is it like one word or is it Uh, just... no, no, it, just, it can be a short answer. I won't restrict you to one word and that would be uh, ridiculous. Um, favorite Tamil food? Nanda curry. Something that scares you. <laughs> I was gonna say spiders is the first thing that came into my mind. I like freak out whenever there's a spider in the house. My husband says I only keep him around to deal with spiders. Um, but yeah, that's a big issue for me. <laughs> uh insecurity that you have uh insecurity that I have I mean I I feel like I'm just walking around like with imposter syndrome every day but I feel like that's a lot of us um you know people like require you to be you know you work you get you get a job and you're like you're known for the skill so like I get hired for like issues management and then an issue comes and then people are like Keith and I will solve it and I'm like well it's an issue I can't solve it but um so yeah I mean I always fear whenever I get like a media inquiry or 
an issue to manage. And it's like, you can never manage an issue well. Like it's always going to be bad. Um, but people expect you to do all these like crazy things to make this issue go away. Um, so that's always kind of like an imposter syndrome insecurity thing that I have. Favorite show you're watching? Okay, so I actually don't watch a lot of TV. Um, but I am, uh, so since my husband's been away for the last two weeks, I've had a lot of time on my hands after my daughter goes to sleep since so I'm housebound. And I started Succession, uh, which has been interesting. Um, my first, my problem with it originally was kind of like my problem I had with House of Cards, which is that there was like no good person. Like you, you couldn't relate to anyone. You couldn't like root for anyone. Um, but I found Succession to be actually quite funny. Like it's uh, quite comical. Um, so I've been I've, enjoying I've heard that recommendation. Um, a place you're itching to travel to? I want to go to Curacao. I've been there once before. It's a Dutch island in the Caribbean. Um, we were supposed to go in January 2022, so this year, um, but then Omicron happened, um, so we couldn't go. Um, I always like to travel like in the Jan January, February months because it's so depressing here in Toronto. <laughs> with, yes. Like it's so dark and snowing and it's cold. Um, so Curacao. A fellow Tamil creator you want to give a shout out to? Um, the first person that comes, well, it's two people that come to my mind that I work on with the Tamil Community Center um, are Chair Siva Vimalachandran and our our board member, Nedra Rodrigo. They're kind of like um, the people I tag team with for the community center to get things done. Uh, both really incredible people in the community, um, not just in the community center. They both do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Nedra, for sure. Yeah. Um, favorite childhood memory? Um, my parents used to always take me to Center Island. There's like an amusement park there. Um, so that was really fun. I've started going back to the island as like an adult now. And I actually just took my daughter during the summer and uh, I was just like flooded with memories of um, the different little, uh, the rides. It's so funny because when you're a kid, these rides seem so big. And then I was there <laughs> as an adult. I'm like, these rides are tiny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, the island. Uh, something you like to do for fun outside of work? That's a great question. Um, I, uh, what do I like to do for fun? That's a great question. I don't have a lot of time on my hands now that I'm the baby. I'm sure you understand having two kids under the age of two. If I'm not working or not volunteering, um, not hanging out with friends, not hanging out with family, um, I'm often outside like going for a walk um, or working out. There's like the two other things I do. And then I like to read before I go to sleep. Yeah, walking is a new habit I developed over the pandemic that I've stuck to, and it's That's amazing. Good. Yeah, good. and Mimico like has a lot of I think like parks and stuff around there now. Like down yeah, there. I have like some like like trails or like not trails but like walks that I do like at night that are like by the water or like around the neighborhood. I podcast and I walk, so like it makes it easy. Yeah. Um, favorite movie of all time. The Greatest Showman. Who's in that movie? Hugh Jackman's in it. Oh right, yes. Okay, I remember. The, I didn't watch it, but I've I've heard it. Excellent. Now. I mean, you have to like musicals though, so that I don't. But maybe I'll give it a shot. <laughs> a purchase you've made that you've splurged on recently in the last few years that you have no regret about. Um. So <laughs> we did a huge renovation in my third trimester, and we had to be out of the house for six weeks. Um. Like obviously, like as any renovation, the cost is going kept going up and up and we kept adding like little things but at the end of the day because it was the pandemic and we we're spending so much time at home I'm so glad that we did it because we just like love our house now I was away for two weeks earlier this summer um I was in I'm Muskoka for work in New York for a family trip and then I actually got COVID so I stayed at my parents house so my daughter wouldn't get sick and the entire two weeks I was texting my husband being like I love our house. I hate like everywhere else I've stayed for the last two weeks. I just want to get home to our bed, to our shower, to our like kitchen. Um, everything about it is great. And um, I'm really, really happy we made that investment because you got to enjoy the like, you know, the four walls that you're in. What what about your house do you love? Just like it's perfectly like everything me and my husband like want, I guess, in ah, our house. Um, okay. it, it's exactly like the way that we would want it. Yeah. A pet peeve of yours. I think my biggest issue is I'm trying really hard these days. And I know it's difficult because we're all glued to our phones, but it really drives me crazy when you're like, you know, at a dinner or like with a couple of friends and you're just glued to your phone. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of this all the time, but I try really hard to put my phone on do not 
um, you know, do not notify or whatever setting now. The other thing that's easier now is I have an Apple watch. So if I do get, if there is something urgent and I, I can quickly check if it is needed, if it's urgent or not. Um, but that's like a huge pet peeve of mine. I'm trying to be better about it. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, a regret that you would have. Um, well, it's interesting. My, my parents and I have been talking about this. Um, my mom has been nagging me to learn how to cook thermal food. Um, and I'm always like, I don't need to know how to cook because like, you're going to be here forever. Um, and we've been talking a lot about that. The other thing we've been talking about is, um, actually it was before the pandemic, we were, uh, her and her sisters were supposed to get together with my grandma's sister. Um, my grandma's not here anymore, but she died. Um, and we were going to get together and kind of talk about like the family history and kind of understand that a bit more. And as I've, um, especially when I became pregnant and now my daughter, I, I now want to know so much more about my family so I can make sure she knows. And I still don't feel like I know enough. Um, so between learning how to cook our food and knowing more about our family, um, those two, I would be extremely uh, upset about. I would regret those two things. A celebrity or just person whose life you want to experience for one day? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I would love to know, you know, like, either the prime minister of Canada or the president of the U.S., like just kind of, you know, I've worked in, in political settings before, but to be in the highest form of office and to like figure out how you make those decisions. Um, like before we started this call, I, I saw, I got a breaking news alert that President Biden was doing a press conference on like some counterterrorism um, thing. And I'm just like, wow, like that, like that was happening behind the scenes probably for like weeks that we had no idea about, but they were making these decisions that would affect the entire world. Um, so I'd love to, to kind of get to know their day to day. A book you've read recently or a podcast you've listened to that's had an impact on you? Um, the book that I've read the most recently, I think it's called It Ends With Us. It's actually quite of a popular book right now, but I think it's by Colleen Hoover. And, uh, it was an interesting book because it's about this woman. She's young. She's like in her twenties and this relationship she has with someone who's in, who's abusive towards her. Um, and you know, her, her mother was in an abusive relationship as well. And she said she would never put herself in the situation. Now she's in the situation and, um, but you really get to see the other side of like what happens when you're in this relationship and how you can't get out. And it always seems so clear cut on the outside, but when, but the, the author does such a great job of showing you the other point of view. I think it was like kind of a personal story a bit. So that's why it was so believable. Um, and it really made me think, like, I was like, I, I actually felt for the person like I wouldn't know what I would do in a situation like that now well before it was so clear-cut and just made me realize like the world that we live in it's so gray like nothing really is is black and white agreed is that book on your bookshelf behind you (laughs) it's not at the moment I actually uh started to use a Kobo just got it easier when I'm like when I'm on the train traveling into work it doesn't take up so much space in my bag my wife gifted me a Kobo because she hates the fact that I keep buying books, but I don't use, I don't know, something about physical books I enjoy. Uh, it's not the same as a Kobo, but yeah. I find when it's like, if it's like a heavy, like historical book or like a autobiography, I need like the actual book. But when it's more of, I uh, actually wasn't sure what the, the It Ends With Us book was going to be about, but uh, my cousin recommended it to me. But if it's like a thriller or like an easy read, then I'll do the Kobo. Mm. Um, what's a new behave belief behavior or habit that's improved your life um well during the pandemic I got really into like spending time outdoors um even during the winter um so I'm I used to be like a, a fair weather person so if it's a good weather that's the only time I'm going out um but I got uh you know like during the winters, during the pandemic, like you can spend literally weeks inside your house and never set up your foot outside. Um, so what we decided was we were going to buy, um, like you, you just have to dress for the weather. So just buy really good gear to go outside. So good boots, good jacket. Um, and I, I basically wore like snow pants to go, just go for a walk. Um, and I think that really made a difference just from, uh, I get really affected by like with seasonal affective disorder um so I think that made a really big big difference during the winter months yeah no for me too I think it's part of it is um when you come here as immigrants or like children of immigrants you know they can't afford the nicest winter jacket like you're just wearing whatever 
I think that really distorted my view of winter and like avoiding winter at all costs. But it's actually not bad if you dress warm. So I agree. Well, my dad always says like, you know, we're from a from a tropical island. So we're not used to, <laughs> he'll, he'll start wearing long johns in like September all the way to April. <laughs> he, he's like not messing around. Uh, and finally, what's a piece of advice that you'd give to your fellow aspiring Tamil creators out there? I would say that, you know, we are all so talented and smart and skilled and that we should really be pushing the boundaries in every industry. I'm already starting to see it, like, especially our generation, everyone's really like fighting to be the best. Um, and, I, you know, I'm super impressed. And I think we got to keep doing more of that. Um, I would, you know, actually, even through this podcast, you get to see so many um, so many Tamil people in, in their industries succeeding and it's so inspiring to see um, and I'd just love to continue seeing that. Awesome well that's a good way to end off the podcast. Um, thank you for jumping on and sharing your awesome story. If there is someone out there listening and they're inspired and want to you know get connected with you what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah absolutely um, probably like if, you, if they're on social media like Twitter, Instagram I'm totally open to connecting that way but they can also email me at keithana.rang at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, Keithana, thank you again for jumping on. And for those of you listening, appreciate you guys as always. And on to the next episode. Thank you.